Yep, we are in Psalm 13. We are in Psalm 13. We'll get started in another minute. Um, as you guys know, uh, for those of you who are here for the first time, what we do here is we engage in the reading of the Word. Uh, we just spend time reading through Scripture. I truly believe that one of the most critical, one of the most important endeavors uh, in the life of any believer, in the spiritual development of any believer, is in the reading of the Word. And when I say the reading of the Word, I'm speaking more intentionally about the meditational reading of Scripture. I'm talking about reading the scripture through large portions of text and to posture yourself in a way so as to hear from God about what the text is actually saying. It's a little bit different than Bible study where we're simply studying the text. I want us to go deeper in relationship with God through our reading of the word. We can increase our understanding and yet increasing our understanding will make us prideful and may not draw us nearer to God. But when we posture ourselves to hear from God, when we read scripture, in a meditational posture, it cultivates our relationship with God. The other thing I believe that is important as well for us as believers is, is that we ought to read through the entire scripture. Um, I find that often what we do is we, and this is just true for, for many believers who um, they haven't actually read through the entire Bible for themselves. Anything that they've read has been piecemeal. They just read a portion here, a portion there, a section here, a section there, a section there, a section there, because the scripture sometimes tends to be uh, intimidating. Reading through the entire Bible seems like an intimidating endeavor. And so we sit to read through the scripture because I believe that to really truly get what the scripture is saying, you should read it in its totality, book by book. Read larger portions of scripture. And so that I believe is an incredibly... Uh, it, empowering endeavor for any believer. And it allows you to truly know what the Bible is actually saying. Because a lot of people will throw verses at you and say, this is what the Bible says. But again, if you don't read it in its totality, you don't really know what the Bible is actually saying, right? Um, and so it's important for us to read the totality of the scripture to see what the scripture is all about. Because, thank you, Matt, the Bible is not a spiritual textbook, Okay, the Bible is not, um, and let me, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get started here um, as we get started. So we're going to already start the podcast now and start recording now. Um, so you guys are already hearing it. You guys are going to hear this. Uh, the Bible should not be seen as a spiritual textbook. The Bible shouldn't be perceived as some intellectual uh, literary piece of art that you simply study and you observe and you just enjoy. That's not what the Bible is. And often for many of us, we read the Bible in this way when we don't realize that what the Bible is, it's a testament. It's a letter that God, your Father, who loves you more than anything in the world, has written to you. And when you begin to see it that way, when you begin to see it as a love letter, when you begin to see it as a letter that is written by a father to his children, as a testament, as a will, expressing his heart, his desire, what he wants of his children, it changes your whole posture in how you read the Word. But when you read it like a textbook, you study it, you'll find yourself reading it in a posture to figure out what you ought to do. But when you read it from a posture of the scripture is a love letter, then you discover how God loves you. And so that's why it's so critically important that we read the Bible this way. It's so critically important that we posture ourselves to read the whole letter rather than piecemeal, because then we don't get what the whole letter is really saying. We don't get what the scripture is actually saying. And so that's what we're here to do. And what a time, right? 
what a better time to talk about the Bible being a love letter than to read the book of Psalms. As I said to you before, the book of Psalms is, uh, it is, there's a theological depth to the book of Psalms, but my goodness, there is an emotional breadth to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is the theology of the heart. Um, it's the theology, not just of the mind, your intellectual facility, but the theology of the heart. And when you understand the theology of the heart, you begin to understand who God is and know that his spirit testifies to our spirit. And we can become, sh we can be shaped in who he is simply by understanding his heart. And what better way to understand the heart of God and the heart of his people than to read through the book of Psalms. And that's what we're going to do today, y'all. Um, we're going to go a little bit shorter than usual, uh, but I do want to just spend a few moments just reading through the Psalms today. As you know, we've been reading through the whole Bible, Genesis, all the way to the book of Psalms now. And so let's begin. And we're going to ask three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? Attend to my heart, O Lord. Speak to me, O Lord. Speak to each and every one of us, Heavenly Father. As we engage in your word today, Father, let it not be um, our intellectual facilities, Lord. Let it not be an exercise of, uh, of logic and reason and intellectuality. But Father, speak to our soul today as we engage in your word. Lord, reveal your heart to us. And Father, Lord, transform our heart in you. Lord, that we become more like you, shaped by you. Lord, bless us as we engage with you today in your word. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get to it. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long? Will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Having sorrow in my heart daily, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed against them. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There's none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there's any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call on the Lord? There they are in great fear, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You shame the counsel of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. Hmm. Chapter 15. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly 
and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he who honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears in his own hurt and does not change. He who does not put out his money at ushery, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Chapter 16, preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrow shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup, and you maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Shehu nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. Oh, you who have saved those who trust in you from those who rise up against them, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings from the wicked who oppress me, from my deadly enemies who surround me. They have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths, they speak proudly. They have surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth. As a lion is eager to pray, to tear his prey, as a young lion lurking in secret places, arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with your hand from men, O Lord, from the Sorry, for men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babies. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. 
I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. I'm going to read one more. So much here. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. <laughs> the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surround me. The floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surround me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ear. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled to it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, the thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of calamity. But the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes but from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful." With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people and will bring down haughty looks. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect, and the word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. 
He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend the bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarge my path under me so my feet did not slip. You have pursued my enemies and overtake them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under their feet, for you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord. But he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets. You have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not shown shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent men. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king, and he shows mercy to his anointed, to David, and his descendants forevermore. To David and his descendants forevermore. The word of God. What's taking you so long? That's what I hear God saying. What has taken you so long? As I'm reading this text, this is the question that I hear. What has taken you so long? What has taken you so long to come to God? What is taking you so long to truly enjoy Him? What has taken you so long to be in relationship with Him? Why are you distant? What are you waiting for to come to God? He loves you. He loves you very much. He loves you more than anything in the world. And his arms are wide open to you. And he wants to receive you. So what's taking you so long? Is it shame? Is it guilt? Is it a sense of unworthiness? Is it, let me put myself back together? What is taking you? so long what is taking you so long to come to a god who reveals himself over and over and over again to you to say to you that i love you and i care about you and i want you i delight in you i i delight in your presence like i, I love you more than anything in the world 
I love you more than anything, more than anything. So what is taking you so long? I'm overwhelmed by the very love and the presence of God as I even read these texts, because what I see in this text is the heart of God. That's what I see in this text. I see the heart of God. I see the desire of God. I see what God wants and what he desires and what he's looking for is not people who are simply compliant to what he wants in his word. He wants people who want him, who desire him in the same way that he desires them. God desires us. Like I know sometimes we read this over and over again and often we... um, we, we, we have this you know we have these conversations about worship and about um, adoration and and the sovereignty of God and the authority of God and the power of God and and all these things that we hear about God and what God is and what he's capable of and what he can do and and what he is what what he is not and so we have these discourses about God but have we actually sat down to really speak about who we are with him? and who we are in him. Like, do you actually sit down and do you come to recognition? Do you come to an understanding? Do you come to an awareness of who God is? That God is not simply this idea and this principle and this thing that you can, you know, look up to and a set of thoughts and doctrines and philosophies. And is that who God is to you? Is God just a bunch of laws that you follow and a bunch of rules that you follow? And if you follow those rules, then you'll avoid hell or you'll get to experience the goodness of life where you get to, is that all you get when you when we talk about God? Like is, is all you get is the more that I worship God, the more I feel better about myself. Or is that all we get? Is it, is it, is all we get out of it is how we feel uh, about who we are as people or how we feel about who God is? Is that all we get? Because as I read this, what I see is a God who's tugging at the heart of man. And I read this and I see a God who's pulling us and pulling us and pulling us and pulling us. And he's tugging at us and he's tugging at us and he's tugging at us. And there are many of us who we just pull back and we pull back and we pull back. And we don't realize who God is. Oh, no, we're good at knowing things about God. But do we actually know him? What's taking so long? What's taking so long? When we read these Psalms of David, and I want you to understand, this is a, a, the book of Psalms is a collection of songs that were sung by the children of Israel particularly during their time of captivity. We've, if you ever want to know the story or read through the whole story about the children of Israel, go back and go watch all the other Read and Rants. Okay, catch all the other Read and Rants. Download the Read and Rant podcast. Catch them. You'll get all of that because we've been reading through. And I hope that you see the whole story about what the Scripture is about because what the Scripture is about is about a people. It's about a people who God loves. 
and who God cares very, very much about. And yet what God is doing is he's reestablishing justice. He's reestablishing righteousness. God is making all things new and he's making all things right in the world. And on the backbone on the story of humanity is the story of these people, the children of Israel. And yet at this moment, the children of Israel are in captivity. They're in captivity. They find themselves in captivity because, again, uh, they didn't follow the law that was given to them. God gave them a law. Remember the Ten Commandments, these rules that you always see in the Bible that people like to give to you and tell you this is what you need in order to be a Christian or in order to go to heaven. All those rules were never meant for you. They weren't given to you. They were given to the children of Israel to reveal the morality of God, to reveal the authority of God, but more importantly, to shape out the children of God in order to be the agents of righteousness and justice justice, to show the people, to show humanity what the kingdom of God really looked like. But those rules were not really for you. Even the Ten Commandments were not written to Christians. The Ten Commandments, the rules, all the stuff we see in the laws, they were not laws for you to follow, go to heaven or to go to hell. They were simply laws that revealed the morality of God. And these were the laws that were given to the children of Israel to make them separate and distinct from everyone else. Because again, God was setting them aside because God was doing something through a people that he chose. And he chose these people through Abraham. Now, if the law made us righteous, then of course, Abraham, who did not have a law, would not have been declared righteous. Or Job, who was one of the first patriarchs of the Bible, who was considered a man who was righteous, did not have the law. He wasn't even Hebrew. He came before Abraham. And so righteousness then is not really about our performance. It's not about how well we follow the law. It's not about how well we follow the rules. But righteousness has to be about something else. Oh, pay attention, family, because this might, this might help somebody out today. I'm just ranting today as I'm reading through this text because I'm just being inspired by what the Lord is leading me into. Righteousness. Righteousness is not about your, your, your compliance to God's laws. That's not what makes you righteous. That is not what makes you righteous. That's not where righteousness comes from or else the Bible would be inconsistent and the Bible would be incomplete because if you read the Bible in its totality, you'll see those who did not have the law, but they were considered righteous. And the law could not have made us righteous because even the Jewish Christians, sorry, some of you don't like the term Jewish Christian, even the Hebrew Christians wanted the new Christians, the Gentile Christians, to follow the law. And if you go back to Acts chapter 15 in the Council of Jerusalem, they argued saying they need to follow the Bible. They need to follow the law. They need to follow the Torah for them to be Christian because all these Gentile Christians weren't following the Torah. What's going on with them? They need to be doing what we do. They need to get circumcised. They need to uh, follow the Torah. They need to, they need to observe the Sabbath. They need to observe all these things. They need to obey all these things. We have a law. This is what, because again, the, the Hebrews believed at the time when they became Christian that somehow becoming Christian coincided with them being Hebrew. And so instead of making people Christian, they were more interested in making people Hebrew. But what did we learn? We learned from the Council of Jerusalem that it wasn't even about that, that they finally corrected all of that thinking, that it was not about the law, but it was about the heart of God, the morality of God. It was about idol worship, and it was about sexual morality, because both of which are closely intertwined with more idolatry. It was about love. <laughs> It was all about love. It was always about love. Anybody who ever tries to argue something otherwise or something different has gotten it wrong. If it was compliance to the law that made us righteous, stay with me now. If it was compliance to the law 
that made us righteous. If obeying the law of God, if obeying the Ten Commandments made us righteous, if obeying uh, the Torah and everything that we see in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, if obeying those laws is what would make us righteous and make God love us, then David would not be considered a man after God's own heart. David broke God's law over and over and over again. The children of Israel broke the law over and over and over again. And yet David was considered a man after God's own heart. And here we see David opening his heart up to God and God pouring out his heart to him. And through this exchange of pouring in and pouring out, we begin to see what a real relationship with is with God. David sees the righteousness of God, but David does not see it in his compliance to the law. Oh, David is profoundly Hebrew. And he understands how important it is to observe the law. And yet David finds himself falling short over and over and over again. And yet David is a man after God's own heart. How is that possible? How is it possible? And a man like David could open up in Psalm 18. After he's faced his enemies, after he's faced Saul. Saul, you remember Saul? The guy who he considered his father figure? Saul, the guy who he had a, an affinity towards? His father-in-law, Saul, who wanted him dead? David, who's dealt with all kinds of brokenness and pain, and David, who finds himself now delivered from the hands of his enemies and from the hand of Saul, David says in verse 1, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I will trust. He is my shield. He is the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. David is drawn to God. And when David writes this song, this is a song that's going to be repeated over and over again by the children of Israel who have yet to see their deliverance and have yet to see their breakthrough and have yet to see their restoration. And yet, even then, they sing these songs because who they are in God and who God is in them uh, is not a function of what's going on around them. Can I say this one more time? Who you are in Christ is not a function of what's happening around you. Who you are in Christ is not a function of what people think that you are. Who you are in Christ is about your relationship with him. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. We want to be in Christ, and yet we're still being pulled by the perceptions of man. And so rather than seeking the affirmation of God, to be in relationship with God, and to get to know who God is, rather than being dead to ourselves, no, 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 we want to know what somebody else thinks about us because compliance is a lot easier than relationship. So we would like to think, except we break the rules. 
And then when we break the rules, we repent. But we don't really repent. That's not actually what we do. Um, we ask for forgiveness. There's a difference between repenting and asking for forgiveness. Does anybody understand that? Asking for forgiveness is being sorry for what you did. Repenting is changing your mind about who you are. The word repent literally means to turn away from. It's literally to turn around. And for many of us, we ask for forgiveness, but we don't actually repent because our mind hasn't yet been changed yet. Our mind hasn't been transformed yet. So because we have yet to know who we are, we simply ask for forgiveness. We feel bad about what we did. We call that remorse. Changing your mind about who you are. We call that repentance. So next time you say, I repent, don't say you repent. Say, I ask for forgiveness. And next time you say, I repent, it might not actually be repentance. You're just simply saying that you're sorry. And yet being sorry will not change your life. It won't transform you. Being sorry just makes you feel guilty. And yes, remorse can lead you to repentance. I've heard that said multiple times. And yes, that is possible. And it's happened often. But I find the greatest remorse to be the one of joy. Joyful remorse. Remorsing in joy. Yes, because the joyful remorse is the one that truly transforms you. You see, many of us, we think of remorse as simply feeling bad. Ah, but if you have joyful repentance and joyful remorse to know the Lord has set me free from whatever it is that culture and society has placed upon me, that God has set me free from whatever it is that society has said about me, that, that I've been set free from whatever perceptions have been made of me, that who I am is who I am in Christ. That, my friends, is what leads to true repentance. Have you heard the verse that said that it is the goodness of God that leads one to repentance? Shame does not lead you to repentance. Guilt does not lead you to repentance. Feeling bad about what you did isn't going to lead you to repentance. Feeling sorry is not repentance. Okay? You can say sorry all the time, and then you wonder why you go back and do the same thing over and over again, because you're actually not repenting. You're just remorsing. But oh my goodness, when you finally discover who you are, and you discover the goodness of God and the goodness of God, his love, his grace begins to pour over you. That's when your mind begins to change and is transformed. And when your mind changes and transforms, that's when you actually repent. That's what repentance looks like. We got to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. And we have to start accepting that we have a God who loves us regardless of who we are and regardless of what we've done. I, I don't know why I'm sitting here, but I got to sit on this. He loves you. God loves you. He loves you more than anything in the world. He loves you regardless of what you've done. He loves you. His love for you looks a lot like Hosea and Gomer. 
His love for you is the one where the husband goes into the whorehouse to get his prostitute wife. That even though she isn't living the way that she ought to live, and even though she's not loving him the way that he should be loved, and even though she's prostituting herself and prostituting her body, he goes into the whorehouse. He goes and gets her. He goes and brings her back. He goes and embraces her. He goes and he showers her and washes her and cleanses her. That's the love of God. And that's what the love of God does. It transforms you. It transforms you. And you know how you know that you've truly received the love of God? When telling your story doesn't bring shame to you anymore. Like the, it's, it's when you start speaking about what you used to be and where you used to go and what you used to do, when it doesn't even bring shame to you anymore. Because you have been transformed by the outpouring of the love and the grace of God that it didn't matter what you were because God cleansed you. He washed you. He made you clean. He changed you. He transformed your life. This is what the love of God does. This is what the love of God does. And God is inviting you to receive that love. He's, in, he's inviting you. I'm reading this and I'm overwhelmed by the love of God. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I've said this before, you got the theologians out there and the theologians out there, they're going to tell you a lot of Bible. They're going to explain the Bible to you. And I've seen some of these guys and I realize, you know, a lot of them, they need to read Psalms more. Yeah, they, they, they've broken down. They've got a good soteriological foundation. They have a good theological foundation. They have they have good Christological understanding. They, they, they've they got good ministry praxis. They got all that stuff. But the one thing they don't have is they have yet to encounter this love that David has for his heavenly father that we all have a privilege to be a part of, to partake in, that we have as well. If anybody asks what is going to transform your life, it's when you discover this love. I know somebody here has got a story. I know there are plenty of y'all that got stories. I know there are plenty of y'all that got stories about where you used to be, what you used to do, and where you used to go. I know plenty of y'all got stories. And some of those stories, man, it would make people go, mm. there are plenty of you. You know your story. You know where you've been. You know what you've done. You know how deep it's been. You know how dark it was. And yet, even in the lowest of places, God met you there. In the pit of Sheol, he met you there. He met you at the whorehouse. He met you at the script club. He met you in your lowest. He met you in your deepest depression. He met you right before suicide. He met you when you were strung up and high. He met you in your lowest place. He went to go see you and he met you and he embraced you and he told you that I love you more than anything in the world. And you've experienced it. You encountered it. And when you encountered it, it changed your life. You have a story and you need to share it because people need to know it. Because there's some folks out here who still think that it's their theology that's gonna transform them, who think that it's their theology that's gonna turn things around, but it is the God who goes and embraces and reaches wretched, broken, sinful people who loves you no matter what. I'm sorry, y'all, I'm just gushing over God right now. And I'm gushing over his love. Because when people ask me, what allows you to be where you are? 
What gives you any right to speak on behalf of God? What gives you any right to minister? I tell them what gives me the right is the fact that I came from a dark place. I came from the lowest of low. I was not the one that God should ever choose. If I can, if I, if if you knew my life and you knew where I've been and you knew what I've done, and I know, I know a lot of you have that testimony. God came and met me and he embraced me. And I didn't even have to get myself together to go to him. I'm a son of a father who loves me. He wants me. The verse that really sticks out to me, even from chapter 18, is verse 19. I want this verse to sit on you today. I want this verse to sit on you today. Verse 19, he brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Soak on that. He delivered me because he delighted in me. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting to get it together? Are you waiting to fix yourself to come to God? Are you waiting to be delivered? For God to actually love you and to delight in you? Are you waiting? Is that what you're waiting for? If that's what you're waiting for, guess what? That's a lie from the devil. That's a lie from the enemy. That may be lies that have been spoken over you. Maybe you grew up in a church that told you you need to get it together before God loves you. But that's not what David says in Psalm 18, verse 19. He says, he delivered me because he delighted in me. Meaning he delighted in me before he delivered me. And because he delivered me, he delighted in me. So what if I told you for the, for the person right now, who's wrecked up, messed up, who finds himself in the darkest place with the darkest thoughts and going through some of the darkest stuff. I came to tell you today, God delights in you. He delights in you. And he wants to deliver you if you would just delight in him. <laughs> he delivered me because he delighted in me. Some of you need to put that in the chat and some of you need to put it in the comments. You need to put that because you need to, you need to affirm this to yourself today. He delighted in me. Even now, God delights in me. Even right now, in this moment, he delights in me. And some of us, we need deliverance, but know that you've already been delighted in like he, yeah, 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 he's delivering me and I want God to deliver me. But what if I told you he delights in you? You need to say that to yourself. He delights in me. He delights in me now. He delights in me. He, he, he loves me. He, he wants to be with me. He enjoys me. He delighted in me. And it's because he delighted in me that he delivered me. 
He delivered me because he delighted in me. So what am I waiting for? Like, like what, are you, what are we waiting for? Are we, are we waiting to get it together? Are we waiting to get it right? Are we, are we waiting to have it figured out? Are we waiting to be, quote unquote, better Christians? What if we just acknowledge today that God delights in me? Even now, he delights in me. He delights in me. Let's sit on that today. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Some of us are confronting some some stuff right now. But he delights in me. This man who throughout this text, he's not a man of, we know his hands ain't clean. We know David's hands ain't clean, but somehow he finds cleanness in his hands. How does a man whose hands are not clean find cleanness in his hands unless it is not his hands? But it's God's. David says in Psalm 17, I'm going backwards, keep me as the apple of your eye. Did you you hear what David saw? He saw how God saw him. He says, God, keep me as the apple of your eye. Huh. Keep me as the apple of your eye. And David knows I'm nothing without you, Lord. Verse 2 in, in, in Psalm 16. Oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. This goodness of who I am has everything to do with you. So keep me, Lord, keep me as the apple of your eye. He didn't say, Lord, allow me to become the apple of your eye. No, he said, keep me as the apple of your eye. We're trying to get our lives together to be loved by God. And yet God loved us. Even though we were still sinners, he died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. While you are in your sin right now, he died for you. And he loves you. Before you could ever love him, he loves you. So today, delight in him. And if it's hard for you to delight in him, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today. If you're not ready yet, because he's ready for you. He's always been ready for you. He wants you. 
Think about that. He wants you. We always talk about we're chasing after God. I'm going to chase after God as if God needs to be chased. We chase after God as if God needs to be chased. I'm chasing after him. I'm running after God. I'm running. I'm running. I'm running. I'm, I'm, I'm catching up to him. I'm going to get to him. I'm going to get to God. I'm chasing after God. When God has been chasing after you, he wants you. He delights in you. So if you find yourself chasing after God, you're probably wronging the, running the wrong way. If you're chasing after God, you're probably running the wrong way. Because you don't need to chase after a God who from before the foundations of the earth was chasing after you. He wants you. And he's chasing after you. So stop running and receive him. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And if you're not ready yet, challenge you on this. Steep in this today. God delights in you right now. I'm going through a lot. I don't know how I can even think about God and delight in him and all that. God delights in you. He delights in you and he loves you. Father, we thank you. Lord, every day you reveal to us who you are. You reveal your grace and your mercy towards us. Father, you are good. Lord, you're even exposing, Lord, things about your heart, Lord, that sometimes we we find, huh, we often have this tendency to forget. <laughs> That's just the truth. Like we, we sometimes just forget. And that's why we're thankful for your word. Lord, that reminds us that you love us more than anything in the world. You love us. No matter what people say, no matter what society says, no matter what culture says, no matter what the words that we, some of us may have heard from our parents or from people that we loved and gave ourselves to. Lord, who have clouded our perception of what love even is. Lord, just to be reminded today that you delight in us. You delight in us. And for that reason, we thank you for that. Lord, bless us today, Lord, as we engage with your day, Lord. I pray that this word would sit on us today and that it would remind us that you delight in us. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you waiting for? Guys, I'll see you guys uh, tomorrow. I'll see you guys tomorrow. I'm going to just sit on this because this is, honestly, this, this is the best part of my day. It's just to experience the love of God. And I'm overwhelmed by his love. How many times do I screw it up and yet God keeps on loving me. <laughs> he keeps on loving me and he keeps on loving us and he keeps on loving you. <laughs>